listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Morning and welcome to the second part of our series, All About Heaven. Uh, boy, it was exciting last week, and you guys really responded so well. I've heard incredible reports about what this series means to people, how it's really helping us to align our hearts towards God's best, and I think that today is going to be no exception to any of that. I will say this, uh, this message maybe more than most, uh, it's like drinking from a fire hose. Uh, I'm going to put a lot at you. Uh, first service, I, I gave some extra details that weren't in my notes. And when I got off stage, I was like, oh, man, I can't do that for second service. And they're like, no, 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 listen, I don't get half the stuff you said. I'm going to have to watch it again. But, but like, it was good. Give it to us so that we can digest it ourselves. And so if you missed last week uh, or you're like the rest of us where it's a lot when you're talking about something you're not familiar with, Go to newchapel.com slash watch, and you can watch any of our messages, our, our services, and trek with everything. This is something I think that we really need to have on repeat to understand so that we can wrestle this down. You're going to love today. Let's jump in. History's next big event will be the rapture of the church. This is where Jesus Christ will come bodily from heaven, and he will come to get uh, rescue, to, to rapture his church from the face of the earth. Well, let me read it for you out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. It's a very elegant way of saying that those people that passed away, died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Uh, pause for a second. If you don't like the fact that church was loud today, you're going to hate heaven. Because Jesus is kicking off eternity with a shout, and he's going to show you how, like some of the backwoods folk know how to yell and have a good time. We're going to get the party started. He's going to descend from heaven with a shout. That's what it says. With the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in clouds. It's not talking about the clouds, meaning like white puffy clouds. It's talking about clouds of people. Uh, will be gathered together in clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus, we shall always be with the Lord. There is a day coming where Christians, upon the signal of Christ, will be rescued out of this world, and we will meet our God in the air. That's an amazing thing. The rapture includes the resurrection of dead Christians. And so here's what I mean by that. Uh, the Christians that are in heaven today are their spirit and soul, okay? And, and they're fine. They're in comfort. They're, they'd give heaven a 10 out of 10. But they're coming back with Jesus because the way that we need to wrap up this covenant, this lease on earth, is everybody's got to get it on the same time, and we have to be within the atmosphere to do it. And so Jesus is coming back into the air. He, he won't come back. That's called the second coming for another seven years with his feet on the world. But he will be in the air, and we are going to be gathered. So that the dead Christians, their bodies are going to come up, and they're going to have a, a, a glorified body. So the spirit and soul now are going to be reunited with their body molecule for molecule. So whether they were buried in the ground, whether they were cremated, whether lost at sea or something else, 
God Almighty knows where every last piece of that person is, and he, he sees his kids. He's going to have that resurrection of the dead. Now, if you are alive when Jesus comes back, which let me just tell you, when every evangelical leader is telling you on every news platform, every time they get opportunity to get in front of their church, Jesus is coming back, you should take heed to that. It has never been like it has been, like it is right now. It, it, it is a, an exceptional time, and we need to be like the sons of Issachar and know the seasons that we live in, the, the, the times that we live in. Okay, if you're alive when Jesus comes, you're going to be leaving this earth. I'm talking about no strings attached. You're going to be flying through the air bodily, and you will meet Jesus in the air, and in that moment, your body will be transformed into a glorified body. So now what do you have? The entire church of Jesus Christ, all the way in the past up into the present at that moment, billions, b -b 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 billions of people in the sky all at once on display for the world to see with glorified bodies. Buddy, I tell you what, if that doesn't get you excited, you're not alive. Check your pulse. The Bible says it occurs in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, the Greek word for that would be Adam, and it's like an atomic moment. Like, that's how quick it all's going to happen. The dead in Christ rise first. We rise to meet them. Everybody looks good. The, here, here's the picture I want you to get. Spirit, soul, and body were all made whole on the day of the rapture. Wow. And that's how long Jesus needs to inaugurate the next era on his earth. Now, that's a whole nother discussion, but let's talk about this thought of a glorified body. When I say glorified body, you're like, yeah, you know, when I go to Golden Corral, I leave, I'm glorified, you know. <laughs> that's, that's not what God is trying to convey here uh, theologically. Uh, those Christians who have passed away in heaven, like I said, are their spirit and soul. And no, your loved ones don't look like Slimer in heaven, they look like themselves. In fact, theologians would tell you that in heaven, there is physicality, meaning that your spirit, the deepest part of you that's there, it's just as though they had a body. They don't feel like they're, you know, gaseous, floating clouds, nebulous, nothing like that. It's a very, think of it in very certain terms, concrete terms. They feel like they have their body, but they know that they're not whole. And so let me give you perspective on this. Before Christ, you knew you had a body because you can see it. You knew you had a soul because your soul is your mind, will, and emotions, but you're spiritually dead. It's the same type of thing, except on the, on the flip side, they have hope. They're going to be reunited with their body. And so all of heaven is anticipating the realization of Jesus' finished work. Let me read it out of 2 Corinthians 5. We know that if the earthly tent, earthly tent, remember that, we live in is torn down, we have a building in heaven that comes from God, an eternal house. In the Jewish mind, how they would have thought of this is like the tabernacle, which is a tent. They were nomadic. They're traveling. They had a tent, and they would set this tent up, and that would be the temple where they would do sacrifices. But contrast that with the most magnificent building in all of antiquity, which was Solomon's temple. That's, that's, the, word, that's the word picture here of having a temporary, it's a tent flying around. That's here on earth, and a, a, a solid permanent home being the temple. Does that make sense? And so when we receive Jesus, we have to realize that we are transformed, but it is in the deepest part of us that is transformed. And I'm going someplace with this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, this is what the Bible says. May the God of peace make you holy in every way. 
and may your whole, and whole there, what it's talking about is Christian anthropology, you, you in, in completion, what, what is a human? Your spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body, and all of that is true. But God's work that he does to transform your life starts in your spirit. So write this down, trek with me, I'm going someplace. For Christians, we are saved, okay? You're born again. You accept Jesus Christ. The, the deepest part of you, your spirit, goes from death into life. Acts 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. What's the word? Regeneration. You're, you're brought from death to life. This is being born again. He, he recreates the deepest part of you, and that's enough for heaven. You'll go to heaven just with that. But God has more. For Christians, write this down. This might be mind-blowing, but I'll, I'll take you where we need to go. We are being saved. Well, wait a second. No, no, no. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm not talking about that. You're being saved. Philippians 2.12. Continue to work out your salvation. Not work for it, but work it out in your life. Do you remember when Paul in Romans 12.2, he says, you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Well, that's not how you get saved. But if you want to transform that soul part of you, you got to renew your mind towards God's word and begin to think his thoughts. What's the word? The word is sanctification. It's becoming more like Jesus. That's a process. So you are saved and you're, you're being saved. You're becoming more like Jesus. David in the Old Testament, he called it restoring our soul in, in Psalm 23. And then also you are if you're a Christian, you will be saved. You're poised to be saved. 1 Peter chapter 1. We are protected by the power of God for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, this is not talking about being born again. It's not talking about renewing your mind. But there's an element of salvation you'd have to admit as a Christian, you don't know everything. We need to save our minds. Don't you wish you could just take it out and baptize it real quick when you got water baptized? Boy, that would have been a trip. That would have been a lot easier. I wish the Bible worked by osmosis. Get in there, you know, like rub it topically. Tried it, and it doesn't work. And so what do we have to do? We have to realize we're being saved, and then we have to realize that when Jesus comes back and the rapture of the church happens, that day our bodies will be saved. What's the word? Glorification. God's calling. Answer the call. Praise God. <laughs> now you say, Pastor Joe, okay, Jesus is coming back. And that's when I'm going to have a glorified body. But it's like, I got this body that I live in on the here and now. What's the deal with that? He gave you a down payment on the glorification of the future, and it's called healing. He, he answers our prayers, and he'll take you through awful things. Because in this world, you'll face some awful things in your body, but he gives you a down payment, a guarantee of the Spirit. So write this down. You will spend eternity in a glorified body. And that's a good thing. You need one. <laughs> I need one. And let me, let me tell you the perfect like scripture to show it to you. 2 Corinthians 5. For in this one, we sigh. Ah, can't do what I was used to able to do, you know. Can't eat some of the things. I, I'm telling you, I used to go be, be able to go down to Rockford, stop by the corner bar, and destroy the place. And now when I drive by, I have to lay down. You know? For the hot dog's reason, not the one you were thinking of. I'm just saying. For in this one we sigh. Since why? Since we long to put on our heavenly dwelling. Getting older changes things. I remember when I was a young guy, 
I, uh, I got a 1995 Pontiac Sunfire Coupe. It was cobalt blue, baby. And it wasn't stick shift. It was not a sports car. But it was my sports car. I was hot stuff cruising around Nuevo County in my Sunfire. And I tell you what, I thought there's no way I would ever drive anything but a cool sporty car. And I had no idea that there was a minivan in my future <laughs> with petrified McDonald's fries in it and science experiment juice boxes like with a mold you've never smelt before brewing in the back of it. And I couldn't see that when I was 17, but I, I'm well acquainted with it now. And for you young guns, changes in your life. I mean, you don't see some of the different aches and pains that are, that are going to come. And I'm not speaking negatively. This isn't a bad faith statement so the confession police can lay off. What I'm saying is that there's a change in energy. There's a change that happens in our life. And while all of that's happening, like I said, sickness and disease wants to knock at the door. And so we sometimes have a hard time, a difficult time envisioning what's coming up down the road, what the next thing is. When I say heavenly dwelling, I think we're like, yeah, awesome. And we're picturing those naked babies, and God has something better. 1 John 3, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John, the apostle John says, hey, you're going to have a body that's actually very much like Jesus' body. You're going to be just like him. Now, what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. Y'all set me up so well. Luke's gospel, chapter 24. I want you to see this. Luke 24. Now, here's some context. This is the night of the resurrection. Jesus has rose, risen from the dead. He saw Mary Magdalene. He saw a couple other people here and there, saw Peter. And the disciples are getting together. Peter's trying to like explain, but they're kind of afraid. They think Peter's a little bit of a flake too and exaggerates. And, and so they're, they're wrestling with all of this. I'm going to start reading in Luke 24, verse 36. While they were talking, Jesus himself stood among them and told them, peace be with you. Why did Jesus have to say that? For every reason. They just saw him die the worst death you could imagine. I mean, these people loved him. Could you imagine? I mean, we've got nice funeral homes and things like that. You were the one that had to bandage up and put grave clothes on your loved ones. What a heart-wrenching experience. They're all talking about it. They're like, Peter, you're a flake. You're seeing things. You're nuts. You're the one that popped off to him when we were at Caesarea Philippi. I know it. And they're going back and forth. And the Bible says Jesus, they're in a circle, right? He's in the midst of them. Like he didn't use the door in the midst of them. Like showed up and he says, peace be still. I might have had peace in a different way, but uh, I got to tell you, that is mind-blowing. And they were horrified. It says it in verse 37. They were startled and terrified, thinking they were seeing a ghost. But Jesus told them, what's frightening you? I could tell you what was frightening them. What's frightening you? And why are you doubting. Oh, we all go back to the word, don't we? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch me. Look at me. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. Verse 40, after he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, even though they were still skeptical due to their joy and amazement. The only thing, emotion I can liken under this is when I had a kid, you know, like that was a lot, and it's amazing. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had moments like that where it's like, this is great. I'm horrified. You know, at the same time, that's how they're feeling, okay? Jesus asks them, do you have anything to eat? 
that's what we're going to do first? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it in their presence. Okay, a couple things about this. Jot them down. This one won't be on the screen. Jesus had a material body. So, so yeah, he appeared in the room, so that's, that's part of this glorified thing. But then also, he's eating fish. And so he can eat and he can touch him. He's like, hey, touch him. Look at him here. And so there's, there's physical elements to this glorified body and spiritual elements to this glorified body all the time. He looked like himself. You should note that because some people think when you get to heaven, everybody's going to look different or something. No, you, you will look like you, the truest you. And Jesus looked enough like himself. Apparently, they recognized him immediately and thought they saw a ghost. And then, at the same time, there was something different about him. Like, he looked like himself. I'm not saying that he didn't, but there was a glow about him. What does he say to him? He says, I have flesh and bone. Note, he doesn't say, I have blood. Well, this is not in my notes, but I will tell you that when Mary Magdalene saw Jesus, if you read it, it's a very strange encounter because they were very close. She goes up and like, Jesus, and he says, don't touch me. Why? Those were the words of a high priest on the Day of Atonement. He had to be ritualistically pure to present his blood, meaning the resurrection had just happened moments ago. He was going outside. The Bible says he folded his grave clothes. These are the acts of a man whose death, burial, and resurrection was no surprise to him. Slow down, Bev. He leaves that room getting ready to ascend to heaven to present his blood on the mercy seat. See, there was a temple in heaven just like there was Solomon's temple. He's going up to the real one, to the mercy seat, to present his blood. Mary Magdalene, she saw him before it all happened. Okay, he ascends up to heaven, then he comes down. Now he's eating with him, touching. It's just like old days. That's very, very profound. Now, here's the whole idea. Sure, Jesus doesn't have blood, but the Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. What does that mean? It's running on something else. And I believe theologians, many theologians believe, it's running on light. Do you remember when John, at the first part of Revelation, he sees Jesus, and Jesus has white hair, he says like wool, and he's got brass feet, and he's talking about all this light. In my holy imagination, it's kind of like one of those little Santa Clauses that people put in my old neighborhood, you know, that, that light up from, you know, Jesus is beaming with light, and so it looks like brass, because you can still see that olive Jewish skin, but you're seeing light come out of him. His hair is not white, it has light coming out of it. Big difference. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Every wrinkle and gray hair you have in your head is because of the law of sin and death. It wasn't on Jesus. So again, you see another time in Scripture where the resurrected Christ had light beaming out of him. And John plainly says it. God is light. And so what theologians believe is it runs Well, how does that work? I don't know. It's one of those other dimensional type things. But I believe it'll be explained to us. Now, I, I wasn't going to do this second service, but I'm going to go there. How many of y'all read the Bible like me, and you read through Genesis, and it, and it talks about Adam when he sinned, and then he noticed that he was naked? I don't know about you, but when I'm naked, I'm acutely aware that I'm naked <laughs> the whole time. Like, if I got to, like, do something, go from one room to the other, I'm like, you know, I'm running like Yogi Bear, okay? Like, I always know when I'm naked. You too? Let's pray and go home. Oh, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> don't stop watching, please. But don't tweet this. Anyway, why did, why did Adam notice that he was naked when he sinned? I'll tell you why. 
Adam was created in the image of God. Ezekiel says that the image of the Lord is fire from the loins up and fire from the loins down. John, the revelator, says that God is light. Adam was created in God's image and was given dominion over this world. Was it his authority? No. It was God's delegated authority to him. When he sinned, he ceased reflecting God's glory and saw himself as naked for the first time. He never knew. He was unaware. He was clothed with light reflecting God. You want another proof on that? You're not going to have your glorified body until the resurrection of the dead, but the Bible says in Matthew 6, let your light so shine before men that they should see your good works. The only way you can show your light right now is with your actions. But there's coming a day when our bodies will be redeemed and you will physically again reflect the light of God. Wow. I believe it's not just him without blood. It is also going to be us. We will have light coursing through our veins and it's going to be amazing. There will be a powerful bodily transformation that happens when you receive your glorified body. Psalm 17, the Bible says, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Old Testament, Matthew 13. Then the righteous will shine forth. Ah, there we go. Shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear words of Christ. 1 John 3, beloved, we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. I want you to see this glorified body has abilities that your body doesn't have. You won't need food, but you can eat. You won't need to sleep, but you can rest. It's going to be incredible. And by the way, next week is going to be the real kicker. If you've been looking for all the details, the pretty picture painted of heaven, of all the description and answers, next week is going to be the one you don't want to miss. What will we look like in our new bodies? Well, I told you that the law of sin and death was not on Jesus Christ, meaning this. When he died on the cross and was risen from the dead at 33, theologians would tell you that likely in heaven you will look like Jesus at 33 because that's what he earned. That's the age he was. But I have one caveat, and there is a split in theology on it, and it doesn't matter which one you believe. Here's what it is. Because the law of sin and death was not on Jesus... And because science tells us today that at 24, you're fully matured, right around there, and then you begin to age. Jesus never would have aged, right? No white hair. If he had not laid his life down, he'd still be alive to this day. And so as a 33-year-old, I'm not saying he looked like a pipsqueak 24-year-old. Sorry, Hunter. But I'm, I am saying 22, whatever. One. 19? 19. Those were the days, Ed. <laughs> I'm not saying that Jesus looked like a scrawny 33-year-old. He probably looked strong and vital at 33 because he never had that law of sin and death on his life. It was only going up for him. And so imagine heaven. You get there and you see your grandma who is a godly woman and she's in her 30s or 24. You pick which one, I'll go with it. Praise God. He ate with them physical food, yet he appeared in the room. Wow. A uh, question comes out, where will we go when, when we die or when the rapture happens and Jesus comes back to get us? Heaven? Heaven, sure, but heaven is actually a pretty limited answer, a limited statement in all of this. I'm going to take us all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This should tell you something. God did not live in heaven and create earth. 
He pre-existed heaven. God is self-sustaining. He doesn't need a dimension to even live in. He's cross-dimensional, buddy. He, he created the heavens and the earth at the same time. Meaning this, heaven and earth was created for finite beings, meaning those with a beginning. God has no beginning nor no end. And so angels, mankind, God created heaven for that reason. I want to tell you, and I mentioned this last week, but I want to make it very clear, heaven exists to the north of the earth. Isaiah 13, quoting Satan, uh, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. David writes in Psalm 75, exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. The implication is it comes from the north. Job 26, he stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. We assume that everything that is material is visible, and that is not how God operates. In fact, God chooses to look at the unseen more than the seen regularly. And heaven is on a dimensional level that's different than ours. Is it north of the earth? Yes. But if you went and got in a rocket ship and, and got Elon Musk to, to loan you one and blast it off from the North Pole, you can go as far north as you want. It's never going to be like the Truman Show where you get to like the wall and you unlock the big old gate. And you're like, anybody over there? It's not like that. Heaven is north of the earth, but the Jews, if you ever see them at the Wailing Wall, they're praying like this. They're praying like that so they can feel their breath on their hand because they know that heaven is closer than the air you breathe. Heaven is both north of the earth and it is here right now. And so material, heaven is very material. Heaven is described in the Bible as having a temple for worship. It's described as having lakes and trees. It's described as uh, inside the temple, having the glory of God in there. There's scrolls and books and elders and rewards and crowns. They're celebrating. There's musical instruments. There's horses in heaven. Heaven is a material place. But... If you were to think of it like grabbing a piece of paper and drawing a stick man on it, and somehow you had Walt Disney magic and you could blow life into this little stick man, if you put your hand above the piece of paper, he can't perceive what you're doing. All he can perceive is what's on that plane. You'd have to draw a hand on there in order for him to be able to perceive it. Well, in the same way, we live in this dimension, and it's not that heaven is so far away even, it's that it's not perceivable by our senses. Now, that'll blow your mind, but it's absolutely theologically sound. Before Jesus came, those that were made right under the law went to a place called paradise. I want to show you heaven through the ages. Before Jesus it was different than during Jesus, and it will be different after the rapture of the church. Before Jesus, people were made right with God under the law. They made sacrifices and these things. When they died, throw up that slide, guys, they went to a place in the earth in Sheol called paradise. Uh, it's also called Abraham's bosom. If we were to write the Bible today, we'd call it the lap of Abraham or, or his comfort, his protection. This is where Abraham, of course, was, but also Adam. And this is where all the righteous saints of old, made right under the law, were put in a temporary holding tank. Now, notice also on the far right side, the Greek word is Hades. It is the word in English, hell. Those that died in a godless state, far from God, rejected him, they would go straight to hell. Now, you should read about this. I think it's Luke 24, where it talks about the rich man and Lazarus. We might get into actually in the series, but... 
you could actually see in between the two. And that would be very hard because there are people suffering on one side and people in comfort on the other. And there's some other uh, references there, the Great Gulf, the Bottomless Pit, Lake of Fire. Those may play into the series. They definitely play into our um, uh, small group that we have called Decoding Revelation. But suffice it to say, before Jesus came, that's what happened. When Jesus came, he changed things up quite a bit, and it was all part of the plan. I want to read this for you because what he did on the cross, yes, he paid the price for our sins so we can be born again, but there was other mechanical things happening that were miraculous at the same time. I'm going to read it for you out of Ephesians 4 so you don't just think I'm, I'm giving you conjecture. Ephesians 4, 7. When Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive, remember that, and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But also that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. We know that Jesus paid the price for the worst sinner, that he descended into the lowest part of hell. And I'm looking at your faces right now. Let me just take a little pause for the cause. I know this is drinking from a fire hose. Please watch this again to absorb it all. But I, I think you appreciate it, yeah? And so here, here's the idea. He had to go to the deepest part of hell to pay the price for the worst sinner. The Bible records that when he got there, that's when he regained the keys to the kingdom from Satan. Before he left that underworld, throw that up one more time, he was over in Hades. Before he left the underworld, he was the only one who could bridge the gap because he, the courts of heaven cried out innocent. He had never sinned. He had no business being in hell. He's the only one that went over the great gulf into paradise. Now, when he went there, remember I told you to remember he led captivity captive? Those saints of old made, made right under the law. Everything they were doing was pointing towards Jesus, okay? I say that to say, there's no such thing as post-mortem repentance. Didn't happen in the Old Testament, and it doesn't happen now. And I'm sorry if that rubs people in Granville the wrong way. Turn the cat around. You hear me? Very, very important to understand that those saints were already looking for Messiah. So when the Messiah comes, Jesus says, it's me. They're running to him. He leads captivity captive. That means one of two things. I'm unsure, and I'm going to tell you where I'm unsure. That either means he took paradise out of the world and ascended the whole thing up to heaven. You have good reason to believe that. It fits in many ways. There's another uh, school of thought, which is that he just emptied out paradise. It still exists in the earth, but it's still empty, and it's only hell that exists. That's fine, too, because heaven still existed this whole time. But remember, when he saw Mary Magdalene, Jesus rose from the dead and he saw her, he was still bringing all the saints up with him. He's like, don't mess this up. I got to go finish this act of redemption, and I got to do it the right way. So that's why, and it's so wild, because it's not that God didn't know in his infinite knowledge he knew, but it's, it is also just the way it happened. She got there early and caught him, and it wouldn't have been recorded if it wouldn't have happened. So... The idea being is that heaven now exists above the earth. And so guys, throw up that slide, the very next one, and it has heaven. And in the earth currently, there still is lake of fire, bottomless pit, the great gulf, and hell. Currently to this day, if someone accept, uh, or I'm sorry, if they die without having accepted Christ, you go to hell. I'm sorry if anybody tried to butter that biscuit a different way. But you say, how can a loving God send somebody to hell? No, 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 listen to me. You will have to step over a loving Jesus if you want to go to hell. 
That's exactly how that is. God loves you. He gave his life for you. He'd do anything for you, and so he did. And so listen, heaven is where our loved ones are, the saints of old. They're, they're not in paradise if it exists in that form either way. So very, very interesting. Write it down, though. This is surprising. You say, well, that's how it's going to be forever. It's not. Heaven as it exists right now is temporary. It is not permanent. Because you have people up there, and if you can think of it this way, they're bringing in remnants of the fall of man because they don't have their bodies. They're in heaven without their bodies, and God wants to have a heaven that is completely untainted by the fall of man in any way. He doesn't want any stench of hell in heaven. Now, this redemption of heaven, this change of heaven, it is because there are things about heaven that are incomplete. Even Jesus taught that heaven was incomplete. Matthew 24, if you would. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. First time that I read that, I thought, God, what are you talking about? Everything's just going to end? I was horrified. That wasn't, that's not what he's trying to teach at all. He's talking about this fundamental change of heaven. And it's going to be significant changes. Just like I described, our body's changing when it becomes glorified. Can you even wrap your mind around this? God has been creating a home for you since he left 2,000-some years ago and creating a new heaven. And he's willing to take all that he's been working on for 2,000-some years and just wipe it off the table so that you can have something else that's even better, a glorified heaven. That's a lot, everybody. That's what God has in store for our future. Why? We don't want the present physical death on earth to be any, have any remnants in heaven. Everyone who is there, with few exceptions of people that were raptured before their time, Enoch and others, are there without their physical bodies. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. I need to land this ship before you guys all have to take a big old long nap after this message. This is a lot, isn't it? I hope you're getting something out of it. Second Peter, this is good. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Can I put it this way? Sooner than you think. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The heavens will be dissolved, burning on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we... According to his promise, look for new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. When it says that the elements will melt with fervent heat, the word picture in the Greek is down to the molecular level. Everything is incinerated on this earth. It is going to be an incredible show, and we will have a front row seat to it. New heaven and a new earth. Now, this is an illustration. Go ahead and throw up that slide, guys of the holy city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven is a city. You think I'm going to be in heaven forever. No, let me, let me put your feet on the ground, literally. You are coming back to earth to live forever. A new heaven and a new earth. The heaven is described as a city. And the Bible uses measurements called a cubit. It, and a cubit is from your elbow to the end of your middle finger. You know, I don't know exactly. A lot of guys have said around about 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. That's a big city. To show an illustration, the bottom right-hand corner, you can see somebody to scale made a little box, and they put it over America just to give us Americans context. I mean, you're talking about something that goes up to Hudson Bay and is almost to the Yucatan Peninsula. 
That's how big heaven, the city, the new Jerusalem will be. Will it be a pyramid or will it be a cube? My personal belief is I believe it will be a pyramid. I believe that the pyramids of Giza were a, a counterfeit that the devil wanted to produce to thumb his nose at God. And they are wilting to this day, devil. Eat your heart out. I believe that it is a pyramid with the point of it resting squarely over the Temple Mount, which is the same hill of Moriah where the temple was and where Jesus was crucified and where Abraham went to go sacrifice Isaac. Wow. Could it be something that looks more like not an exact pyramid and it's something where it's just the height of the bit? Sure. Here's what we know about it. There's 12 gates. On the 12 gates, one of each of the gates has a massive pearl that's actually the gate to it all, a whole pearl that you have to move to the side to be able to get in. It's guarded by archangels. Wow. On the name of every one of these gates is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. On the foundation blocks of the city are the names of the 12 disciples. When you go in there, we know that there's a river of life that flows through it. There is the tree of life. We know that there's building. We know that there's commerce. All of that is at play. And we also know that God's throne is there and that it at least illuminates all of heaven. It may illuminate all of earth at the same time. Meaning that uh, when we think of like sunsets, we're going to have to reimagine what that's going to be in the light of what God is going to be able to show us. When the Bible says that he is going to incinerate the earth, that means that all the oceans of the earth are actually going to evaporate in the ice and water that were in the firmament, going deep, that were on this earth before this earth fell in the flood. It had never rained before will be restored, meaning there'll be a 77% boost in land mass. That is not to say that there's not lakes, streams, and rivers. There are. They're described in detail. But you're going to need the space for the billions and billions and billions and billions of people that are going to be on this earth with us. It's going to be amazing. Heaven, God's capital city, is going to be in a reigning spot over Israel, which will be our capital over, over all of the world. God himself will reign, not in democracy, not in republic, in the only form of government more superior than a representative republic, and that is a theocracy, God rule. No more Republicans, no more Democrats, peace on earth. You say, Pastor Joe, I'm a part of one of those parties, and I take offense. You know your people are messed up on both sides jacked. What about hell? Ultimately, God is going to judge those that are in hell, and he will then judge hell to hell. There is a hell that's worse than hell. It's called the lake which burns with fire, another dimension altogether where even hell in all of its flames and torment is not enough for where the devil was sentenced to go. Now, the pastor of this church believes that hell was not created for people. Again, you have to choose to be there. You have to reject Christ. But guys, this is otherworldly, isn't it? We're talking about new bodies and new earth and new heaven. And for some of us, it's exciting. Some of you are like Googling Methodist churches in the area right now to like run. It's in the Bible. I can prove I didn't write this stuff. But what do we do with it? We're not just here to num, 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 and just like satisfy our curiosity. What do we do? Second Peter 3 and verse 14. Therefore, beloved, 
looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, as he has written to you, as also in his epistles, speaking in them of things in which some things are hard to understand. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Can I hear an amen? amen? Three thoughts, and then I want to pray for us today. The first one is this. Heaven is something to look forward to. I hope at this point in the series that I've calmed your fears about heaven, that it's something that you're actually excited about. He says that in, in 2 Peter 3, we need to look forward to these things. I love how in the midst of this passage, how it says in Peter's rating, 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter, he's rating, he wrote both of them, but he's rating this, and he says, just like our beloved brother Paul, who wrote some things that are hard to understand, that was the first and second Corinthian scriptures I was reading to you last week. And what does Peter, one of the apostles of the Lamb, say? He says, yeah, I've been reading the New Testament. I don't get it all. He, does that help anybody in the room? That Peter's saying, he says some things that are hard to understand, right? I'm not the only one, right? That, that, that listen, you don't have to get it to get it. You don't have to understand everything I said today. Pastor Joe, it's like holding a fire hose and you're blasting at my face. You don't have to understand it. You need to understand what I said. And I think that is happening in the room. It says, be found by him in peace. It means that, guys, you need to wrestle this down if you're still choking on the thought of eternity and the thought of heaven. This is something you need to get a real grasp on. Don't be afraid. Get excited. Number two, write this down. I think in light of talking about heaven, we need to take inventory of our life. Like, how you doing? It says that we need to be found without spot and blameless. Are we living this life with eternity in mind? Or are we blowing off responsibilities? Do we know God told us to do something? We're like, ah, oh, forget it. We know that God put us in the special season, right? We got back to church and the kids are loving and we just blow it off for the same simple worldly things that we've always done. Are we distracted by the next right now thing? And I'm not saying that you need to be a, a person whose head's in the clouds to the point where you're not living your life. You need to go to work. You need to earn your money. Jesus said, occupy till I come, okay? You got stuff to do, but are you wrapped up in that stuff where it's your only focus or are you living this life with the purpose? Like, I gotta bring people with me to heaven so when I die, they go, they go to heaven. I got, I, I got to give like it matters so that like kids can be reached. I, I got to serve because church isn't all about me. I can't sit on my blessed assurance until Jesus comes back and act like that hymn even meant that. I, I got to work as unto the Lord. Take inventory of your life. Quiet in this Presbyterian church. What's weighing you down? Maybe you should ask these questions to yourself, to your accountability partner in group this week. What's weighing on you that shouldn't be? That's one of those spots that's like, let me put it this way. If, if you were found, what would you be embarrassed if you were found doing that? Selah. God is not trying to be some hard taskmaster with you. And this is not all about your moral behavior and sin management. And 
He's not trying to destroy you by leading you to a better life. It says so much just before the scripture that we first started reading in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't slack concerning his promises, as some people count slackness. Rather, he is patient for your sake. He doesn't want to destroy anyone, but he wants all people to have an opportunity to turn to him and change the way that they think and act. God has a higher plane for you. God has more for you in this life. Where's the compromise? I'm not weighing on you. I'm not the sin police. Despite what some people have done over the years where they come to me like, Pastor Joe, you heard that I was doing... I have no idea what sin you're committing. I'm your pastor, not your daddy. <laughs> but God's speaking to you right now. Don't get upset about it. I've had people get upset. Be like, well, you should throw a rock into a pack of dogs. The one that yelps the loudest, the one that got hit. Don't tell off on yourself by getting mad at me. You seek your own heart. Be like, God, is there, is there anything? I don't want anything in between us. You know, there's seasons in our life, godly seasons. God will bring you into that season. The Bible says the Spirit of God will not contend with man for long. It means you can screw it up. You got to stay in that season. Be like, God, I don't want anything, anything, anything to mess this wonderful thing going on. Number three, I got to move on. Realize that it's all going to be worth it. Kai and I were showing a, a movie to our kids Last night is a, I mean, I'm sure it won Oscars. It's an incredible piece of art. It's called Beethoven Part Two. 1993, beat VHS, baby. Come on. VHS. I can't even go there with the people that have no idea what I'm talking about. But And, um, and, and we're watching this, and Kai and I were, like, they're out shopping, and so they took the dog, and they just tied the dog up around, like, a, a light pole. And Kai's like, do you remember when people, like, could do those things? Do you remember when kids could just, like, bike around, just, like, be free? The world's changed, hasn't it, gang? Last 18 months, it's changed more than your whole lifetime combined. And you look around, and if you're anything like me, you look at it, you're like, oh, man, some of the magic's gone out of some of these different pockets and some of the things I used to find enjoyment from. I asked God because a couple years ago I had this person who was cutting my hair and she was living a different lifestyle than me and, and didn't, wasn't a believer. And, and I got to the spot where it just grieved me so much that I was like, I got to go. And I was like, God, did I miss an opportunity? The Lord was like, no, she got gospel from you and she wasn't going to change in that season. But it really got me thinking. It's easy, isn't it, for us to all get together and we're high-fiving because, like, we know we can touch each other and, like, breathe on each other without being afraid and... We know we at least have somewhat of the same worldview in the room. But we can't stay here. The Bible says that in the last days, the love of many will wax cold. Let that not be said of this house. We're going to have to put ourselves in uncomfortable spots. I'm not talking about going along with the world and sinning with it. I'm talking about going there and being a witness to people that are far from God. And, and I'm here to tell you, it might grieve you because that's the sin you just got out of. I just got out of that junk. I don't want to go back. You're not going back but we got to be a light in this world. But you'll get to the spot, friends, where you see enough of this world and the lit down that happens. And Sometimes I look at the leaders that we have, and I think you can't lead your way out of a wet paper bag. What are you doing? Anybody that had any sense that ran a business with two employees wouldn't make the decisions you're making right now. I mean, what is this? I look at the world's leadership, and I, I, A, that's a I, term I use very lightly. It, it blows my mind. What's happening? My son Aurelio is six. He could lead better than them. 
shame the devil and tell the truth. And it grieves me. It grieves me. And when I see people also, aside from all of that, who are hurting, who are in sickness, who are, who are, are just taken down with disease. Y'all, everybody calls me when somebody dies. I got to do funerals. I have a front row. And I tell you, emotionally, it kind of mess you up a little bit. Because I got to tell you, there's a whole lot of people going home. And you get enough of this world in you, and you're like, God, is this even worth it? This is where Paul was pining back and forth and flipping. He's like, should I go to heaven and stay here? I don't know. Let me tell you, it's going to be worth it. The sacrifice that you're making in the next generation right now, New Chapel, God Almighty sees it all. You give a cup of water to a child in his name, he doesn't ignore it. The work that we're doing back there, the disproportionate amount of square footage that this church is aligning towards the next generation versus adults is unheard of. Guys, God is going to reward you richly for it. The sacrifices that we make when we take up these little special offerings and we, we all do our little part, I'm telling you, God sees it all. It's not a gimmick, it's gospel. When, when, when we take that extra step out of our way at the Myers and we go talk to somebody just to be a good witness along the day, I'm telling you, God sees it all. It's going to be worth it. And you will be surprised with some of the people that you see in heaven. You'll be surprised. They made it. <laughs> They're nuts. I don't know. <laughs> But God's going to use the things that we do in this room, the things that we do outside of these four walls to reach a city that is far from God. Can I hear an amen, somebody? Hallelujah. Now, I think we need to learn something from the old timers. I grew up in country church, and we had wood pews. We sang out of the books. I love that stuff. And they would pray to God for them uh, to receive answer to their prayer and blessing and things in the here and now, for sure. And I will be the first preacher to tell you, pray, believe God for victory in this life. God wants to make you an overcomer. But although they prayed that way, their hope was not on whatever was going to happen in this world. Their hope, the blessed hope, was set on an eternity with God, with what he promised. And we would sing. Some glad morning, when this life is over, I will fly away. <laughs> when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Their hope was not in this world. Their hope was otherworldly. It was in the cross. It was in redemption. It was in a heaven to gain, a hell to shun. So what do we do about it? When does salvation start? If you're not right with God, listen to me. 2 Corinthians 6. Right now is the time. This is the right time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't leave this room. Don't leave the sound of my voice thinking that tomorrow is promised. we got to get things right with God. There's an eternity that God wants us to have our eyes set on that we could imagine heaven. Can I hear an amen, somebody? Do you receive it? Do you receive it? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for meeting us in this place. God, thank you for your word. I never go rapid fire like this, Lord, but I think that there's people that are hungry in the room, and I think that there's people that, although they might not understand it, they understood everything, that you're good and that you have a plan. God, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, help me to find them. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for one more minute. If you come into my sanctuary today and you say, Pastor Joe, 
I'm not right with God, whatever that means. Whatever that means. I'm far from God. I'm, I'm not right with him. I'm here to tell you Jesus made, the, he made, he made it right. Made your relationship with God right despite whatever you've done. Jesus made a way where there seemed to be no way. And the Bible says if you call Jesus Lord over your life, you'll be saved. That is, you call him the God, the boss, the Lord over your life because you realize you're not such a good God. We're going to say a prayer, and if you do that, make him Lord. It doesn't mean you understand it all. It means you're, you're finally surrendering and saying, hey, I don't understand it all, but I understand this. That you can leave this place with peace in your heart like you can't imagine. So we're going to pray. I ask for all Christians in the sound of my voice, pray with me. Pray in support of those that are praying this for the very first time. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart, with these words, I confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Hey, louder than that, come on. Now, the reason why we're so excited is because we know what God has in store for you. But if you accepted Christ today, we need you to take the next step. And that is that same connection card we talked about earlier in the service. We need you to fill it out. Check the box on there that says, I accepted Christ. I want to send you a note in the mail talking about next steps with Jesus. God has big things for you, the least of which is for you to get baptized. And so also, if you came with somebody, and when I said heads bowed, eyes closed, you peaked, I give you absolution, my son. Get them. Have them fill it out because you know what it's going to do in their life to know what God has for them next. One more time, church, loud. Let's give it up for those people that have accepted Christ. Stand up on your feet. Do you know why we get so excited? I should say this even more. Four people accepted Christ last week in this service alone. Wow. That's a big deal. A couple of announcements. At the last part of this month, the 28th, we're having child dedications. If you've never dedicated your children to the Lord, please do sign up at guest services or online. If you're trying to rededicate your teenager because they're going through a rebellious stage, like I said, there's a handling fee, but I'll do what I can. I also want to let you know that after church today, we're having the second part of New Chapel Connect. I can't wait to spend that time with you and to be able to share a little bit about how to engage with the vision that God has for all of us. I invite you back for next week. It will be a weekend to remember as we describe in vivid detail what the scripture says about heaven. And I encourage you, don't come alone. Bring somebody with you. We got more chairs in the back. We can fill this thing out. And I think this is going to be a great opportunity to have people regain their relationship with God if they're far away, or those to come to Christ who are considering eternity. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Babe, come up here and pray with people with me. I'll give it up for my beautiful bride. We love you guys. We've been praying all week for this moment. 
the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, as you go, have a great week. See you next Sunday. that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.